Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the G3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the G3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Vocab Malone. Welcome, Vocab. What's up, Lisa? Good to be here. Glad to be on G3. Glad to have you. Uh, I'm really excited about today's topic because this is a, a topic that's a topic. And it's so, um, there's not um, many resources that kind of deal with this topic. And um, I noticed, I think you added me to the group, the discussion group that you have on yes. Facebook and you're always posting conversations. So I was like, it's, this is the perfect person to, to bring on to talk about this topic. Um, before we get into it, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. I go by vocab. I rapped into poetry for a long time. Don't get as many opportunities to do that now. More doing the husband, father, pastor apologist student thing more and more mm-hmm. uh, i i'm originally from columbus ohio and now i live in phoenix arizona for the past 16 years and i try to blend kind of a hip-hop background with the way i approach apologetics and uh it's work because we're in a downtown church so that's kind of the context i'm in mm-hmm. and currently i'm a student at talbot school of theology and i'm doing my doctorate of ministry on the church, especially inner city churches, can can work to overcome the challenge that Hebrew Israelite type groups are presenting to the Christian faith. That's dope. That's dope. And I commend you because, um, like I already said, there's not a lot of resources. So I know you have to do a lot of digging um, <laughs> for your uh, for your dissertation. Yeah, um, but it's crazy once you start uncovering stuff because at first it seems like there's nothing there. When I say uncovering stuff, I don't really mean resources to answer Hebrew Israelites, but I mean stuff more that they put out themselves and produce. Once you start uncovering it, it's like a I don't know. It's like you go down this trail, and I start just discovering all these self-published books, all these hip-hop albums, all these websites, all these different camps. And so, like, it's like a crazy nonstop, even podcast list of, of stuff I'm uncovering on their end. But like you said, nothing really on our end. Very, very little. And so, yeah, uh, it's a it's a much-needed field. And I, I think more people are going to get into it. I think more, more people are going to see the need. And, you know, th- there's not one Mormon apologist. There's not one apologist to Jehovah's Witnesses. Same thing with this area. I think eventually you'll start to get a couple people who are – were skilled and adept at uh, answering some of their claims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe so too. So for our listeners who are not familiar, who who have ran across it but don't understand it, what are the black Hebrew Israelite beliefs? Well, the Hebrew Israelites, ironically enough, don't like being called black Hebrew Israelites. That's the name they're generally given because uh, a majority of their members are black American or from the West Indies and all of this, but um, so sometimes just to, to humor them a little bit, I'll call them Hebrew Israelites because they make a big deal out of it if you call them black Hebrew Israelites. But it's, I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying just know that when you talk to them. If you say BHI or black Hebrew Israelite, they're going to make a big deal out of it and say it's racist. Mm-hmm. So, so I call them Hebrew Israelites because no Hebrews or Israelites call themselves that. So I feel like it's a designation that it's not really going to confuse anybody. But 
the basic beliefs uh, there's two things with this one is it's hard to pin down because every camp has a different set of of beliefs Mm-hmm. Camps are the name of their sex. That's what they call them, camps. And every individual Hebrew Israelite has their own individual beliefs because not all of them are associated with camps. However, there's a couple generalities you can make that most of them do hold to. And so, for example, the big one, the main one, the one where they kind of get their name from is this idea. The so-called lost tribes of Israel are not actually lost in their mind they are in what is now what was then known as the new world they're in the western hemisphere by the root of the transatlantic slave trade so that includes black americans that includes puerto ricans that includes dominicans uh <clears throat> that includes um uh, cubans and uh haitians and as i mentioned earlier west indians now most of them also in some way associate other people groups in the western hemisphere with other lost tribes so-called in their mind of israel such as mexican americans are supposed to be from the tribe of issachar Mm -hmm. uh seminole indians are supposed to be from the tribe of reuben Colombians are included, uh, Guatemalans are included, Panamanians are included included as well. So a lot of actually uh, South Americans and Central Americans uh, often make what's called the 12 tribes chart. And so that's kind of fundamental to this belief is this thing called the 12 tribes chart. And all you got to do is Google it and see it, and you'll see on the left side Simeon and on the right side Dominicans or some other variation of that where they have this. And that's really the controlling – narrative for how they approach everything mm-hmm. so that's the key belief mm-hmm. i could break down a couple others unless you have questions about that mm-hmm. so as far as the key beliefs in this because i'm looking at um one of your blogs and looking at their chart where do they get this from i have not fully figured it out yet every time i because i've had some private discussions with hebrew israelites some people may have heard on Urban Theologian Radio where I had a street debate with a group here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the only thing I've done because that's one setting that's more hostile. I've, I've been able to meet privately, go out to eat, that type of thing with a couple of guys. And every time I ask them detailed and specific questions about the chart, they say, that's a really deep teaching. We would need two or three hours to unfold it. So I have not fully figured it out. I can tell you this, though. A weird phenomenon has occurred where in New York, especially Harlem, these Hebrew Israelite groups are becoming more and more prominent. But so is this this movement of Egyptologists and Kemets and also kind of just secularized cats who are activists. Mm-hmm. And you, there's one guy who's really well known, this guy named Poe Light, who's, who's really prominent in these circles – and he and some of the guys he rolls with in different situations, they'll critique this chart and ask a lot of the same questions actually we would ask. And um, what I'm saying is that not everyone agrees uh, that this chart is right, even in the Hebrew Israelite movement itself. Mm-hmm. I met a Hebrew Israelite the other day who said the chart is bunk. Only black-skinned people should be on there, including Africans. Now that's weird. Because most Hebrew Israelite groups disavow anything related to Africa. They, they view Africans as non-brothers, actually. 
Oh, wow. But but I met a Hebrews like the other day who's like, no, nah, no, nah, that ain't right. There's still lost tribe members left in Africa. And these Native Americans and these uh, other cats, these Mexicans, they don't actually belong. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's really tricky because there's so many idiosyncratic beliefs. But generally speaking, they think that, um, that, that everybody in the Western Hemisphere that came over to the transatlantic slave trade is a lost tribe of the House of Israel. Where they get all the details and information, I still have not figured out yet. I'm still working on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's crazy because I'm looking at the list. And I'm like, what? How do we make this connection? Um, so that, that's interesting. Um, and I read, I was reading on your blog that they only uh, kind of they're King James only. Everyone that I've met thus far is King James only. They'll say that. Other translations are corrupt and this and that. And when you get into it, a lot of them also advocate for an idea that King James was a black Scottish king. So because if they have these – a lot of them have sort of a militant attitude about a who's who and what, who's what what. Meaning like if I quote a commentary from a scholar, they'll be like, oh, that's an Edomite scholar. That don't matter. And that <laughs> – what that means is Edomite means a white man, basically, a white person. So to them, um, Edomites are white people. They actually call them so-called white people. They don't They don't call them white people, generally speaking. They call them Edomites, or they'll say Esau. They'll say Esau don't know nothing. So, <clears throat> But then when you say that about the King James, they say, oh, well, actually there's a secret history there, and King James is actually black, so it's all good. So it's kind of odd, but not all of them accept the New Testament, and the ones that don't, don't accept the King James, mm-hmm. the ones that are Old Testament only, that's not what they call themselves. So they call themselves Tanakh only Israelites mm-hmm. or sometimes the Messianic Israelites. Those are the ones who also accept the New Testament. We'll call them non-Messianics, but the Tanakh only don't like that designation of non-Messianic. So they call themselves Tanakh only Israelites. They make fun of the King James version and they do associate it with an Edomite and they have a more kind of Hebraic or Judaic mindset about what should be included and excluded and every group that i've met yet holds to the apocrypha though all of them that i've met oh wow what is their what is their like close tie with the apocrypha why Um, why do they like it so much well um one theory is that in the apocrypha there's a little bit more of a strand of a strident type of jewish nationalism Mm -hmm. and since the hebrew israelites associate that group of people with themselves it serves their theological purposes a little bit better because some of the strident nationalism they can translate into justifying their beliefs Mm -hmm. if you ask them why they accept the apocrypha they generally will say something like the white church try to take that out but it's uh, it's our true history that also needs to be revealed and not hidden so they view it as part of the continuation of the story of black-skinned Israelites, and so it's fundamental. And you will hear them often quoting the Apocrypha, and uh, they often, when you run into them on the street, they'll have a tattered King James Bible, and they'll have a tattered red Apocrypha. There's a certain one they all tend to buy. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll read from both with equal ease. And if you say, well, I don't accept the Apocrypha as canonical, to them, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It is what it is, and you're you're part of the problem by trying to hide history if you deny the apocrypha in their mind. Mm-hmm. So, what would they say to uh, Roman Catholicism that 
that has the apocrypha that uses the apocrypha and is the pope is would be they would consider probably white right they're ultra anti-roman catholic and when you start talking about the trinity they immediately brush it off as a roman doctrine they start actually sounding identical at least in my opinion to Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a pamphlet talking about should you believe in the Trinity, and they, they make everything uh, the result of the evil Roman church taking over. Well, Hebrews lights basically do the same thing. So they're anti-Roman Catholic, but to them, it's not a Roman Catholic thing. It's a Hebrew or a, a Judaic thing. And mm-hmm. so to them, it's, it fits because of that. It, it, to them, the Roman thing is, uh, I think, irrelevant in their mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's it's such a contradiction, though. Well, that... yes, of, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the thing is, so with these groups, uh, it's difficult for them to see their own um, inconsistencies. Like if you bring that up or talk about that, it's real difficult for a lot of them to see. You do have better success when it's one on one in a group situation, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, when you say this type of stuff, they'll just requote some proof text scripture. Or, depending on who you are, especially if they perceive you as being white, they'll say, well, you're an Edomite, Esau doesn't know the Bible. But if you're, if you're not, uh, you know, say you're black and you approach these things, they'll just say, you don't know how to interpret Scripture. You don't, you don't understand Scripture like we do. Uh, and if you're female, they'll say, this is why women aren't called to teach. So this is what I've they, – they always have these uh, kind of drawbacks, like – Woman brings something up, well, that's why you're not called to teach. Edomite, well, Esau don't know the Bible. I mean, you just go down the list, and sometimes they even get into slur territory. Like, if they perceive you as, like, buying lies of mainstream, like, Christianity, then they start calling you the the, the coon word. Coon is one of their favorite designations to diss somebody with. Mm -hmm. But that's the more extreme groups. The, The problem is I'm describing certain groups, but right now, Lisa... If there's some Hebrew Israelite cats out there listening, they're like, oh, man, Vocab doesn't know anything about Hebrew Israelites. He probably just watched some YouTube videos and ran into some dudes on the street one time, and now he thinks he knows. No, that's not the case. However, we've got to describe things in some generalities because these lone wolves don't really represent the mainstream movement of Hebrew Israelites. And so these lone wolves who are kind of like Internet-only Hebrew Israelites who tend to be softer, kinder, gentler, not as wild – yeah, they're out there, but the thing is, it's like one dude alone on the internet posting stuff, and it's hard to like say this one dude counts in the movement in the sense of doctrinally moving stuff. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's real tricky because right away someone's gonna say this dude don't know da 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 because it's like one guy who's got anecdotal evidence. But we gotta we gotta say something about it, and uh, it is a growing thing, and it's mainly moving through the camps. The camps are the primary movers of this doctrine not one dude running around on facebook mm-hmm. got you um i know that what would be the other main doctrines of hebrew israelites that you would want our listeners to know the camps all have some variation of this idea that the black messiah jesus who most of them don't want you to call him jesus some are okay with it but they'll want yeshua or yeshia or some variation when he comes back, he's going to set up heaven for the Israelites and hell for the Edomites. So these groups, none of them have a uh, the idea of heaven and hell being 
uh, metaphysical realities. They're more like conditions or states of being. Mm-hmm. And so right now is Edomite heaven, a.k.a. the time of the Gentiles, and right now is Hebrew Israelite hell in essence. So it's going to switch when the Black Messiah comes back. When Israel as a nation is ready to be a nation, then that's why some of these groups use uh, names like commander, general, captain, because they view themselves as setting up a nation for the Messiah to return, and they got to be ready. So when he comes back, he switches everything up, and then the Hebrew Israelites rule and reign the nations with the foot upon the neck. That's a favorite uh, phrase of theirs. They'll say a boot upon the neck, sandal upon the neck, foot upon the neck, something like that. And uh, some get to be servants and slaves, some of these other nations, and other ones just get dead. And uh, Hebrew Israelites who um, were affiliated too much with uh, the, these enemies uh, of the Hebrew Israelite nation, they also either become servants or get dead. Um, there's some camps that have a little more favorable view about what can happen to you if you're an Edomite or, a, or, an, or something like a Moabite. To them, they call Asians Moabites. They think you can serve the Hebrew Israelite nation and even be part of the nation by being grafted in, mm-hmm. but you have to do it almost through the intermediary of a Hebrew Israelite. And they use this verse that says um, they'll cling. In that day, several uh, several folks will cling or cleave to an Israelite. And so they'll say, look, you just got to be under them. Uh, a prominent example of this is a group called the Gathering of Christ's Church, G-O-C-C. They're a camp, they're a sect, but they're probably the nicest and the most, I don't want to say Christian, because they ain't Christian, but other camps, when they make fun of them, call them Christianized. They're the they're closer than most of the other camps, like I-U-I-C, or the two worst camps of all, I-S-U-P-K and G-M-S. Those camps are out of this world militant. And so there is a spectrum you, there is a spectrum there. And so you've just got to ask the Israelite you're talking to, what do you think? But to me, a second key belief is their view of what's about to happen next. And a lot of them tend to think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. There is an apocalyptic strand to this group. Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. Wow. <laughs> are, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot to take in because I'm just <laughs> I'm, my thought is where are we getting this from? Like. Who was the originator of the black Hebrew, the Hebrew Israelites? Right. So um, there's different thoughts about that and different views on that. But it does seem in the mid 1800s, uh, there became a stronger and stronger association. This is probably right after the Civil War with black Americans, the slaves, with the people of Israel. And that that's always been there. If you listen to the old spirituals, there's clearly a strong association because of the idea of breaking out of bondage. Mm-hmm. But there became a, a point, and some people who started really almost taking it more literally, is what it, this is my perception of what, what happened. And in the 1860s, 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, you see little examples of of a stronger view of really, hey, us slaves actually might actually be the Israelites. You see that kind of popping up mainly within Christian circles, you know, like a pastor is out working in his field and gets a vision of this. That's Mm -hmm. actually that that actually happened, for example. Uh, But then around the late 1800s, early 1900s, you see a little bit of more uh, organization occurring. And so. 
when you have Marcus Garvey doing his thing and you have Black Wall Street and you have the Harlem Renaissance and you have the situation in Harlem where there's a lot of Jews living next to African Americans in Harlem, you -hmm. have this strange confluence of things happen all at once. And some of these groups started organizing themselves actually in like temples and uh, they looked a little more like black Jews though, meaning trying to kind of be a little mainstream with the Judaism, this and that. Uh, one dude is named Rabbi, Rabbi Matthew. He's probably the most prominent known out of that. But then groups kind of came out of that, but things changed in the 60s. And what we're talking about now is more related to 1969 than anything else. Mm-hmm. ISUPK broke out and established the first kind of what I would consider the modern version of the Hebrew-Israelite doctrine. ISUPK stands for Israelite School of Universal Practical Knowledge. Boom, you got to like that, right? (laughs) So ISUPK breaks out in 69, but like with anything, there's splinters from that. And so maybe seven or eight other main camps jump out of that, and now it's just growing exponentially. And so ISUPK is keen to remind everybody of their address. It's kind of weird. You'll see them mention their original address often. And the year 1969 and how they actually say this. They claim Yahweh is only dealing with, that's their quote, only dealing with ISUPK. So they're very exclusive even within the Hebrew Israelite movement. So other Hebrew Israelites tend to not like ISUPK because they basically say if you're not with ISUPK, you're not, you're not really a Hebrew Israelite. And so – General Yahana is the dude in charge of ISUPK these days. He's been in what – here's the phrase they would use. He's been in this truth for about 30-some years. They, that's the phrase they use. They say been in this truth or been in the truth. And so he has influenced a lot of people. And in fact, uh, he tried to have a doll made of himself. Oh, wow. So he um, called up a factory, and uh, they were going to have a 1,000 General Yahana uh, 12-inch action figure, kind of like the old G.I. Joes, made – and it's kind of funny because the way I found out about this is through legal briefings <laughs> because, <laughs> because ISUPK sued the doll manufacturer because they said they didn't make the doll dark enough. They made it several shades too light. Wow. So there's actually images on the internet of General Yohanna's doll. And I actually agree with ISUPK on this one. It is too light skin. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad because it's like, you know, there's really a cult of personality, in my opinion, with ISUPK, the way they defer to this General Yohanna character. But uh, th- so 1969 is kind of the, the mark date. But then, but then around 2000, mm-hmm. that's when you see a real rise and proliferation of these groups. And in the past 10 years, you can document how many self-published books have popped off with the Hebrew Israelite slant, and you can document how many new podcasts have popped off, how many new websites have been registered, and you can also keep track, if you wanted to, of how many new YouTube channels and how many YouTube videos have increased and how many uploads are on said YouTube channels. From the past decade, it is blown up like never before, and a primary way these dudes spread their stuff is actually not just through the street stuff they do, it is through YouTube videos. That's like the closest you can get to really seeing what their theology is is by watching a bunch of YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Half of them are funny, half of them are sad, and the rest are boring, and they're almost all just wild. I mean yelling at people, wild outfits. Now, I don't say this type of stuff, but some people make fun of them and say they look like Black Power Rangers uh, or they look like you know, rest, they're worldwide wrestlers. I don't say that, especially when I'm talking to them. 
but they do tend to often have elaborate outfits. IUIC is purple and gold. Uh, uh, the ISUPK is looks kind of like medieval warriors. They tend to carry swords and, and almost like what appears to be chainmail armor type stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, GMS, Great Millstone, the other Israelite camps make fun of them and call them bums because they throw on kind of like lowly, almost looks like sackcloth-type garments over their, their normal street wear. And so uh, the other camps refer to them as bums and make fun of them. So they a lot of them have unique styles of dress, and you can identify which camp they're by by how they dress. Wow. That's intense, um, especially yeah, knowing, they wear, <laughs> knowing they have swords. Uh, I, I, my mom was – I was talking to my mom, and she was like, yeah, they were around when I was younger, and they were called – we used to call them Ben Yahweh. And that's, um, or the Yahweh. Oh, you talking about the dudes down in Florida? Mm-hmm. Oh, Lisa, that is one of the, so I didn't bring Yahweh Ben Yahweh up because Hebrew Israelites get heated when you bring him up because he's kind of like, it's like someone bringing up David Koresh saying, here's what a Christian looks like. That is one of the most wild stories. If you look at what that dude did down in Florida with the compound, with the murders, I mean, he's like he's like a the Hebrews light version of like Charles Manson. It's crazy, crazy what happened down there. Wow. There's a whole book about it. I, I, I'm not, I, the title is something like Brother Love, Brother Love, Money Murder Messiah, uh, something like that. There's a book on it, and it has some pictures that are even kind of gruesome, man. And uh, it's wild what happened with Yahweh being Yahweh. So he's not real prominent right now because he, he went away to prison and all that. But uh, there's still some influence of that. But most of them consider him outside of the mainstream because he he claimed to basically be incarnate in some way, God incarnate. And most Hebrew lights don't stand for that. So if you see somebody calling themselves God or something like that, that's usually a comedic cat, Egyptologist, a nation, uh, the gods and earth, 5% or something like that. Usually Hebrews lights don't go that route. They're very deferential to who they call TMH. That's how they abbreviate it, the Most High. Mm-hmm. And so Yahweh, Yahweh is an exception, and in my opinion, doesn't represent the doctrine. But man, he did some crazy stuff down there. If people just Google those uh, news articles out of the uh, the paper at the time he was he was active, you'll just be tripping out. Wow. So he's not he's he wouldn't be the same as the the uh, the Hebrew Israelites. That's be a well, whole other set. Yes and no. The, there's all these similar doctrines they hold to, and enough that if like I was going to categorize him as some kind of religion, I might call him a cult of the Hebrew Israelite sect or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like he definitely falls under that umbrella, but definitely is not mainstream, and definitely doesn't represent most of them. But the beliefs and practices, and even a lot of the dress is very Hebrew Israelite-ish in its approach. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a, a yes and a no type of thing with that. But but generally speaking, I mean, unless you're down there dealing with those directly, it's not that important to study because they're not really, to my knowledge, the ones moving into new neighborhoods and areas and setting up facilities and uh, camps. That's IUIC. To me, they're the best organized out of all these groups. Mm-hmm. And the GMS is pretty active, although they tend to not have physical buildings a lot of times. And then uh, ISUPK is somewhat active in doing this. And the Gathering of Christ Church, the more kind of chill sect, they seem to be kind of coming up as well. I think there's people who are attracted to a more moderate version of this, uh, and they like the GOCC cats. But 
even if you go on the GOCC website, you'll still find stuff because we're just talking about like the kind of like the hatefulness and the bigotry. These groups deny Jesus Christ as God. These mm-hmm. groups deny the deity of the Holy Spirit. These groups deny soteriology that is biblical and that they do not have any type of doctrine of salvation by grace. Mm-hmm. These groups deny fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. And so a lot of times the extravagant, extravagant aspects get you know focused upon, which I understand. But the real issue, at least in my mind, is what they end up doing with Jesus and salvation. And it's always wrong. It's, it's, I've never run into one that's orthodox yet. And their soteriology, unless they're, quote, freshly converted out of Christianity, and they almost always lose proper biblical doctrine in those arenas over time. Mm-hmm. What should our response be as Christians? How should we engage um, Hebrew Israelites? Well, this is where people might think I'm speaking out of term, but since you asked the question, I don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. The, the so-called white stream, mainstream evangelical church they should do a better job paying attention to the needs of their brothers and sisters in other types of settings and situations. So my point by that is this. Yeah, there ain't no Hebrew Israelites out there in the suburbs on the street corner, generally speaking. However, this is going on in, in, in other areas in the cities, and the white, the white mainstream evangelical churches should, should care, like they should care about other needs, and figure out how they can get involved. And I'll tell you what I mean by this. Uh, like your seminary professors, generally speaking, they're not hardcore city dwellers. Every now and then they are, but they're usually kind of on the outskirts. They're there, they're that. But these seminary professors have a lot of knowledge and information, and they could click up and link up with inner city cats and give them what they need. And by God's grace, this is what's happening, for example, for me. There's a Hebrew professor at Phoenix Seminary named Dr. John Mead, and even though he's not running into this every day of his life, dude is meeting with me answering the most obscure questions about hebrew and he's willing to be my second reader in my doctoral project to me that's an example of what i mean of, of a good thing that can happen and i'm glad that uh, by god's grace there's someone locally providing that for me there needs to be more of that within the so-called traditional black church my my thought is first of all half the traditional black church still doesn't really realize they've got an exodus on their hands and young black men especially are jamming out and my view is a lot of times it's bad because it's the best and the brightest and the most energetic and zealous because a lot of these guys i meet they wanted doctrine and they wanted theology and they wanted rigor and holiness and they wanted seriousness in their christianity and they wanted to hear the hard truths but it wasn't at their church. Instead, and I'm just telling you what they told me because uh, you can overly critique the traditional black church, and I'm not cool with that either. But I'm just telling you what these Hebrew Israelites say. They just constantly bring up Creflo Dollar and all these other types of guys, and they just talk about four offerings every service and then what the pastor does. And they talk about homosexuality, and they talk about being dominated by women. I'm just telling you the stuff they say. And they bring up all the stuff and have a real dissatisfaction with their experience there mm-hmm. by and large. And so the traditional black church I don't think is really aware of what's happening because this is one of the main things pulling folks out in my view. And it's pulling people that we would really need around. And so there needs to be kind of a waking up to this reality. And then some equipping. You can't just write it off as crazy. You can't just be like, oh, well, whatever, whatever. I think there needs to be some legitimate equipping 
of like, okay, what are answers to these questions? Because in the Hebrew Israelites' favor, not all, but a lot of the questions they're asking are legitimate questions that need to be answered. And they will talk about issues of uh, racism and bigotry and prejudice and ethnicity and, and the slave trade. And they will bring up issues of like an abuse of prosperity of gospel doctrines. And they will bring up a lack of doctrinal robustness from the pulpits. And all, what I'm saying is they got some legitimate critiques and complaints in my view. Mm-hmm. And so we, I think we should do a better job of hearing those and, and sort of on the preventative maintenance side, working to make just better, healthier churches. And that's one thing. But then Yo, man, getting in there and actually being willing to engage these cats at the level they're at. And that may mean different things, but whether it's out on the street, whether it's whether it's on the Internet, whatever it is. And, yeah, you'll have to do a little study research, but I, I, I'd like to see a more proactive attitude from the church in general with this than I, than I have seen both the mainstream kind of, you know, evangelical and both kind of like traditional black, especially uh, because it's there, but I feel like, it's just like seeping out and, and nobody's really paying attention is what it seems like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Cause a lot of people don't even know this is a thing. And, um, like I stated before we started recording before, um, I started before I started Jude three, I knew this was a thing, but I didn't know how big it was. You know, I knew like people like, Pay close attention to it, but I was like, I didn't know that it was like that big, and right. until I started talking to people, and they're like, "You have to address this issue," and I was like, "Oh wow, I didn't know it had grown that big." So I think it's just you know people understanding the impact it's having on our communities. Yeah, and I'm glad we did this podcast. But if you even listen to this podcast and you think about what we've mainly discussed, it was me trying to explain best as I could some of the basic doctrines and beliefs and practices and habits of these of these groups but we didn't re- we just really didn't have time because it's almost like part of the battle is like what do these folks believe because I don't even understand what they're saying we didn't really have time or we, we're not in this instance really saying here's why this claim is wrong here's why this claim is incorrect mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying and because that's a whole like thing in and of itself of all the types of claims that they they make and uh dealing with them kind of one by one little by little because it's a that's a big field in of itself and so there there's got to be um and i'm not saying i have all the answers to all their claims or that all my um answers are satisfactory at this point but i am saying that there there are some things to legitimately critique about what they say Mm -hmm. and that's like a whole nother show basically (laughs) Well, we'll have to do a part two. What uh, what would be one claim before we go in your um last words? Would be one that you you think you could help some? That's a major claim that you could show us how to refute or tell us how to refute. All right. Well, um, I gotta think which way I should go with this. Okay. Okay. I think this one's a little safer. Uh, a major claim. Now, this is not the most important thing to deal with, in my opinion, but I think it's an example that's important, is that modern-day people that we call Jews are frauds. It's a masquerade is the term they use. So to them, they don't only say Hebrew Israelites are us. They also say 
those folks are not. And so the general claim is they'll say around the 7th century or, or a similar date that a groups uh, such as the Khazarites, uh, Jews, and some other groups they'll name, converted to, to Israelite doctrine and theology. They tend to not like the phrase Judaism, but they converted and, is in, and then eventually replaced the true Hebrew Israelites. And now they'll say something like the face of what people view as a Hebrew Israelite is, you know, Jerry Seinfeld. But that's inaccurate, they'll say. Uh, and so they'll say that those Jews are basically just white folks who converted. They're, they're, and that's not the way that you should think of them. Well, there's a few things with that. Number one is, in America, we've seen a lot of Eastern Europeans come over. And so a lot of the times the, the folks we know as Jews are from European contexts. And that's, but the thing is, that's not the only way Jews look. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and, like, we need to understand that. But that doesn't mean those folks aren't Jews. And, in fact, there's been genetic studies. And what they've done is they've compared some DNA markers with Jews claiming to be Jews in the Hebrew Israelites' mind. Jews living in Eastern Europe with their Eastern European neighbors. Mm-hmm. And also compared their DNA to folks in Israel. And whenever they do that, basically, I mean, it gets kind of complex. These are actually from journals of genetic studies. There's different journals you can look at for some of these studies. But whenever they do that, they find, by and large, their gen- their genetics don't match their Eastern European neighbors. Uh, and they don't look like just another neighbor, meaning they're, they're, used, they're distinct and unique. But they do have certain specific markers that match people living in israel so my point is like you can't not make you can't uh say they're not jews and get them out uh just because they have white skin however again remember there really was a diaspora and so the israel really did go all over so it is actually true this is on a genetic level that there are certain tribes in certain places in certain countries in africa that do appear to have what you might call Semitic genetic traces or Semitic ancestry, mm-hmm. specifically a group of people in Ethiopia, and there's another group called the Ebos, uh, and there's a few others, but they they seem to ma- have the same genetic markers that actually these Eastern European Jews have and the folks in Israel, and so there's some commonalities among their genetic traits, and so it's a scientific thing to say, look. Some of these Ethiopians who claim to be from the House of Israel, it appears it's actually true. And these Ebos who had an oral history saying they were from Judah and some cultural practices that match, guess what? It appears – now, not all of them, but it appears that at least maybe half of the males, for example, actually have traces of Semitic. And guess what? They look like Africans mm-hmm. by and large. Now, they don't look like – when I say look like Africans, that's that's almost a dumb thing to even – because what does an African look like? But what I'm saying is the way someone would say, oh, that person is of African descent. They look like someone who is from there because that's where they're from. So my point is these are all people who have Israelite ancestry in some way, along with Yemenis, the people who live in Yemen, people who live in Egypt. And if you go and Google pictures of uh, Jews from Yemen, Jews from Lebanon, Jews from Egypt, you'll say, oh, look, they look kind of more like their neighbors as well and uh so this the thing is if you look at folks in israel yeah you'll see ones who look like the eastern european jews 
but you'll see all types of shades of Israelites. So the I'm trying to my main thing I'm refuting there is this idea of these the Eastern European Jews are merely converts. It's simply on a genetic level not true. And it muddies up the fact that there is some diversity in what Israelites look like. However, all that does not translate into meaning that everybody over here that came for the transit lake slave trade is actually from the lost tribe of Israel. And again, going to the genetic level, that seems to be decidedly not the case. Most folks are from the Ivory Coast. Most folks are West African. And most folks are from a people group known as Bantu. And the Bantu are a wonderful people group. In fact, it's it's said by folks who study the native Bantu. They're probably the most skilled out of almost all Africans in the area of polyrhythmic music, et cetera, et cetera. My point is it's a beautiful culture, and to replace it and put someone else's culture over it is kind of a travesty in my view. So there's one thing, but the thing is they don't really utilize genetics. They'll say they do, but they utilize a certain interpretation from Deuteronomy 28. And that's how they really get their information. They'll say, look, we are the only people who fulfill Deuteronomy 28. And wicked Esau Edomites knew we were Israel. So when they snatched people out of West Africa and slavery, they knew who they were getting. They were getting Israel because they wanted to make Israel last among all the nations. So it's it's a little bit of a conspiracy theory aspect in how it all pans out. That's interesting um, because, like I was telling you, the gentleman that's a barber at my grandma salon grandmother salon he told her he was like read deuteronomy 28 and all the answers are there and she was like i I don't know what that means (laughs) yeah deuteronomy 28 is probably their biggest passage of of all that's that's how really drives it's interp it's 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 key for their interpretation Mm -hmm. and it would take a whole thing to go through it but especially this phrase about slavery and ships that's the main thing they they focus on Mm-hmm. And what they do is they make the ships literal. So, hey, who who was in slavery and ships? That's us. But they make the Egypt spiritual because it says into Egypt. But they'll say, well, the Egypt means like bondage or Egypt actually means America. So they have the physical literal ships, but then they have Egypt because it says slavery again, uh, into slavery again in ships into Egypt. They'll say the, the Egypt. So they even in one little sentence to get the, what they need, they have to interpret Egypt one way and ships another way. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Is there anything you want to leave with our listeners? Um, you could leave your social media, how they can get in contact with you, all of that good stuff. Yeah. The radio show we do is urbantheologianradio.com. People should hit that, hit that up. I'm on Twitter at, at Urban Theologic. That's the, the radio show as well. And uh, then we have a Facebook page. I mainly just point people to the urban theologian stuff because that's where a lot of uh, like apologetic output is or whatever. Um, and if I would leave people a final thing, it'd be, hey, get involved with this. But to do it properly, it's not just about studying and doing your research. You've got to, and I'm not saying I've got it, but you've got to really work on the fruit of the spirit, especially patience, because these groups are going to name all you if you run into them on the street. They're going to say all kinds of stuff that you won't be ready to put up with. You'll think you need to trade insult for insult, but that's not what we're supposed to do. And you just got to be ready for that. But the question is you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? And souls are at stake, and someone needs to stand in the gap. So my thing is, yes, it is worth it. So you're, it's okay for you to get abused a little bit and have insults thrown at you and mocked and all that, whatever else they may do. 
you know, talked down to. I had one guy tell this Hebrew professor, the other guy, he doesn't know anything about the Old Testament. I mean, it's just how it is. But we need Christians who have a Christ-like character, most of all, to get involved with us. Otherwise, you'll just be doing a Christian version of their thing, a militant, in-your-face, aggressive. I'm not saying there's never a place for that, but you got to, like, say, okay— how am I approaching this? Because this is a mission field, guys. This is a mission field, and right now there's not a whole lot of laborers. So just a kind of final thing I leave with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I always tell people, if you if you don't know your Bible well and they come at you, don't try to act like you know something you don't. Just say, hey, <laughs> yeah. I don't know it, and let, let me research it and get back to you and find somebody who can help you engage because these guys will eat you up if you don't know the Bible. What does Adam mean? <laughs> oh, oh, uh, dirt man. It means earth man. What does, what does Judah mean? Oh, he, he don't know. He's stuttering. Look at him. What, they're like, that's, that's what you're going to be dealing with the whole time. Anytime you drop a word, what does the word mean? You got to be ready. <laughs> it's all like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's a lot of fun, you know, in a way. But it's also sad because I've never met a Hebrew Israelite yet who didn't grow up in the church. Every single one I met grew up in the church. Wow. I'm sure there's one out there who didn't, but not any that I've met. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's crazy. Um, well, thank you, Vocab. This has been a great, great conversation, and I know our listeners will be greatly blessed by it. So thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Lisa. I love Jude 3. I listen every week. Have a good one. <laughs> you too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it